Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us again today. Hey, just a heads up to you who won a t-shirt in our August Summer Challenge. I know we are now almost three months removed from that. And the good news is that the t-shirts have arrived. I expect to get mine today. Uh, Mike, I think you already have yours, do you? I do, and I'm really happy with how they turned out. Uh, They look fantastic. Sorry, everyone, for taking a little longer than we thought to get them done, but uh, they are done, and we want to just give a special thanks to Andrea Dick. She's my cousin, and she um, worked on them and did a tremendous job with the logo in the back. So, yeah, really excited to send those out. You should be getting yours soon if you submitted uh, in, in the August Summer Challenge. And, of course, a thank you to Alison Flint, who's been such a help through this process, too. Today is episode 96. Back in episode 93, we had a guest host, Nathan Pratt, who talked to us about how to study the Bible, some basic Bible hermeneutics. And I'll tell you a piece of advice that has really helped me, just some really, really basic advice that has helped me in reading the scriptures better through my life, is to look for God in the passage. To ask the question, what does this passage reveal about God? What can I enjoy about God's character from this passage that I'm reading today. And Mike, I think you're going to walk us through a passage today and illustrate how to do that for us. Yeah, that's right. Because I think that's really solid advice you've been given, and I'm sure you've given it to others too, uh, Matthew. We want to see God's glory in our Bible reading. And Nathan reminded us of the importance of prayer uh, in our Bible reading before we read, during, after. Well, think of the prayers that we often pray when we do approach the Bible. We Pray that verse in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Or maybe we pray the prayer of Moses, Lord, show me your glory. Yeah, I love those prayers. Actually, I was just uh, spending some time a little while ago in that reference, Lord, show me your glory, Moses' words. And lots of listeners will have heard those words many times. But someone may be asking, what does it really look like to actually read the Bible that way? So if we pray... Lord, show me your glory as I read this passage. What am I really asking for? How do I see God's glory in the pages of my Bible? All right, well, let's say you're reading Acts chapter 2, and and we'll actually do this for Acts chapter 2 here, right in this episode. Of course, Acts chapter 2 is uh, the passage about the day of Pentecost, and uh, we read about the believers being together in this house, and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes, and they begin speaking in different tongues and so on. And uh, you could think of this as the first ever flash mob. I've never experienced a flash mob myself personally. There aren't too many flash mobs happening in Austin where I live uh, these days. Halifax might be a different story though, Matthew. Have you ever uh, been caught in a flash mob in Halifax? Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, still a big thing these days, but we... (laughs) Uh, We did one here in Halifax several years ago. Uh, We were doing like a a Seed Sowers evangelistic Bible teaching week. And Peter Ramsey was with us. I can't remember if this was 2015 or 2017, um, 2019. Anyway, Peter, we had Peter, there was pianos that were on the the waterfront on the boardwalk of downtown Halifax. And so we arranged that Peter got on one of the pianos and uh, he started to play, I think, Amazing Grace. And there were a few people just walking by that gathered and stopped. And then a whole bunch of us Christians gradually uh, moved in closer and started singing and continued singing some other hymns. It was a, a fantastic experience. I'm sure there's a YouTube video of that somewhere. 
<laughs> well, that sounds pretty cool. Um, I think I'm going to send an email to Peter after this episode recording and ask him to play the piano in Austin and on the main street or something. But uh, I have not yet experienced them. I've seen a couple of them on YouTube, though. And basically what it is is, yeah, there's a public space, a common area with lots of people milling about, coming through. It could be a shopping mall. It could be a, uh, what, what you're describing in Halifax there. And someone just starts performing. Others join in. To the onlooker, it seems to be completely spontaneous, just something that happened out of nowhere. It's this unexpected gift. You didn't pay admission to experience it. It just happened. It's a gift. It's overflowing to you. And everybody stops and gathers around. Uh, people pull out their phones to record a video of it. And at least, you know, maybe it is a little overdone now and it's not so amazing anymore. But but I think um, uh, when it was first done, everyone would be asking, like, who, who are these people? And what's going on? Who's behind all this? Well, that's the scene in Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 2. It's, it's uh, the day of Pentecost, so the city is just busting full of holidayers there. And, and suddenly there's this sound like wind. There's these tongues like fire. The Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. They spontaneously begin to praise God in all these different languages. And it spills out from the house at their end down into the streets of Jerusalem. And there's these Jews and proselytes from all over the world and they hear the sound. They're bewildered. They are absolutely astonished. Crowds gather to see and hear this spectacle. I guess they couldn't pull out a phone back then, but they're, they're all asking, what's going on? How is this happening? What does this mean? And some of the skeptics or mockers in the crowd had an answer, didn't they, Mike? They wondered if maybe a, a local winery had opened up its doors, perhaps, because they, they said that these people were drunk with new wine. Yeah, so Peter has to stand up and explain who really is behind all this. No, it's not the local brewery, but it's, it's someone else. And here's where we're actually going to practice looking for the glory of God when we read the Bible. Because when Peter stands up to explain who's behind this, what I'm calling a flash mob, uh, who's behind it? He gives three answers. He says, first of all, it's someone wondrously shy. Second, someone wondrously kind. And third, someone wondrously wise. Well, Mike, knowing you as I do and knowing where your recent studies have, have been over the last little while, I have a suspicion with those three points you're referring to, the three persons of the Trinity. So tell me, am I right there, Mike? Are you thinking about the, the Trinity and, and how do we see the, the glory of the Trinity here in Acts chapter 2? Yes, I am thinking of the Trinity and I want to start with uh, the Holy Spirit, someone wondrously shy. So remember, people are wondering, what is going on? Some are saying, oh, they're drunk. Peter's saying, no, it's not that. It's, it's the Holy Spirit poured out by God, just as Joel prophesied. So Peter says in verse 17, he quotes Joel 2, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter's saying, that's what's behind all this. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and just as further support of that, a few verses earlier, when Luke was describing what happened, he says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, Acts 2, 4. So the miraculous tongues and the things these believers were saying, that was all obviously being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. Yeah, the Spirit is giving these disciples utterance. The Spirit is giving Peter utterance as he gets up to preach. Now, with the Spirit empowering and leading them in their words, what kind of words come out? When the Spirit takes control of these Christians' speech, what is their speech all about? Well, in verse 11, the crowds tell us what they were hearing. They said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then Peter, 
when he opens his mouth, what, what comes out? Well, it's, it's words. If you read his sermon, it's words all about Jesus Christ. So when the Holy Spirit takes control of people's words, the words that come out are, are not all about the Spirit. You know, these people aren't saying, oh, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. No, their words, they're all about God the Father. They're all about Christ. Yeah, this is the Spirit's mission to make Christ known. And this takes us back way back to episode 17. You titled it, So You Want to Be Spiritual. We mentioned our Lord's teaching about the Holy Spirit in his upper room ministry. He said, when the helper comes, he will bear witness about me. These are the Lord, words of the Lord Jesus. When the helper comes, he will bear witness about me and glorify me. John 15, John 16. And you're pointing out from that, Mike, that the Spirit's ministry is Christ-centered. He loves to draw attention to the Lord Jesus. Yeah, and some have called the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. Now, it's not that he's timid in any way, of course not, but it's that he, he's always directing people to Christ. Remember from that episode you referenced there, we talked about J.I. Packer's illustration about floodlighting. He was actually walking towards a church to speak on the Holy Spirit, and he noticed the floodlighting, and, and how when, when you have floodlighting, the lights themselves, they're, they're hidden. They're, there's, they're not drawing attention to themselves. You, you could walk by and not even notice them, but... Rather, floodlighting is all about illuminating something else, drawing people's attention and eyes to something else. And this is how the Holy Spirit works. He has this floodlighting ministry where he's not drawing attention to himself. He's quite happy to, to remain somewhat hidden, but he wants everyone looking at Jesus Christ. The Spirit's ministry, says Packer, is never, look at me, look at me, but it's always, look at him, look at Christ. And I love what Graham Cole says about this. He says, In a world of self-promotion, the magnificence of the Spirit lies not in self-display, but in self-abnegation. Yeah, it definitely is a world of self-promotion. And I just love what you're bringing out about the Holy Spirit and the way He works. We, we've learned He's often pictured by the unnamed servants of Scripture as well. They're sort of in the background drawing attention to others, not themselves. And this is so refreshingly different from what we see in the world. When a soccer player or a football player, you might say, scores a goal in Qatar right now, or when an NHL star scores a beautiful goal, we see that we live in a world of self-promotion, the, the way that they respond and, and, and seek the camera. It's just the natural thing to do and their, the celebration that they have. Uh, the same goes in business. People, people work a room at a business meet and greet. And then social media, of course, is such a, a big example of this as well. It's all about promoting the self, or it's so much about promoting the self. I shouldn't say all, but it's a, it's a common thing. But the Spirit's glory is to promote Christ. Amen. And, and so there's our first example of what it means to look for the glory of God in a passage. We're reading Acts chapter 2, and we're noticing this refreshingly beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, how he's wondrously shy, how he's Christ-directed. He's wanting us to focus on the Lord Jesus. Well, um, who else is behind this, um, this great spectacle, this wonderful occurrence at Pentecost? Well, not only someone wondrously shy, but secondly, the Lord Jesus, someone wondrously kind. Peter goes on as he explains what's happening. Uh, he says, this isn't just the Spirit's doing. There's someone else behind all this, the Lord Jesus. And so Peter uh, he emphasizes this repeatedly that the one behind this event <clears throat> is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, the very one that you folks in Jerusalem rejected and crucified. Well, this same one, um, Peter explains, God has accepted and, and proven him to be the Messiah. 
The one you killed, Peter is saying, the one you killed, God has raised. The one you rejected, God has exalted to his right hand. In other words, Peter is saying to the very people responsible for the execution of Christ, he's saying, "Uh uh-oh, the one you turned against, guess where he is now? He's sitting in the highest, most powerful, most glorious seat of the universe, and he can literally do anything he wants to you. But what does Lord Jesus do? Well, let me just tell you a quick little story. It's a little Halloween story, actually. We were doing our... um, we were doing our weekly children's outreach um, as part of our assembly, and it happened to fall on a Halloween night, so we weren't home when some trick-or-treaters, I guess, came to our door, and uh, and they didn't get treats at our door because we were gone, and uh, so they decided to do a trick on us, I guess, and hurled some eggs at our house. Well, we got back a few minutes later, and the eggs were still pretty fresh, and I was pretty sure I had seen the culprits um, a block or two away as we were driving home. So I took off after these boys. Well, um, uh, I won't leave you hanging. I, I never caught them. <laughs> but, but, you know, what, what do you suppose I would have done if I had caught them? I, I would have given them a, a little talking to and maybe, maybe tried to uh, guilt them into coming and helping me clean it up or something like that. But just imagine <clears throat> that instead I caught them and I said, boys, uh, I have something to give you. you. You left my house and you didn't get what I wanted to give you. And I, I give them this great big gift, this great big package full of the very things that young people are seeking on that night of the year. Well, this is, this is what we're a little bit kind of what, what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2. The Lord Jesus, the one they rejected, the one they were so cruel and mean to and, and crucified, he is sitting in, in, in God's throne in heaven And he can do anything he wants to get back at them. But what is he doing? He's showing them his kindness. The Lord Jesus has sent down his Holy Spirit. He has arranged this amazing uh, gift, this amazing eruption of joy and praise in the midst of Jerusalem. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can bring attention to what Jesus has done for these people on the cross. In other words, what the Lord Jesus is doing is offering forgiveness to his killers. He's offering salvation to those who hated him. He's, he's offering the greatest gift. And you can actually read this explicitly in, in the account. Peter says in verse 38 that if they repent and believe, they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so as we read Acts chapter 2, we, we dwell on it. We, we ask, what's going on here? What can I see about the Lord Jesus? And we come away with this uh, amazing portrait of the kindness of the Lord Jesus that he, instead of using his place of power and exaltation to send lightning bolts down, to, to prove them wrong, to, to get back on them, instead, he is offering forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit to the very people who were so, so cruel to him. Yeah, that is the glory of Christ. And of course, I appreciate that so much personally because he has been so kind to me and I've enjoyed his forgiveness. It's wonderful. So you've, you've told us, Mike, about the glory of the Spirit and the glory of the Son. How do you see the glory of the Father in this passage? Well, it's, it's not hard to see. It's, it's quite clear in the text. So with the Spirit, we, we saw uh, his wonderful shyness. With the Son, we saw his wonderful kindness. And now, as we look at the Father, we see someone who is wondrously wise. And in, in different ways and at different places in his sermon, 
Peter draws attention to how not only is the spirit behind this Pentecost, not only is the son behind uh, this, this great event, but the father is. And so when he's talking in verse 22 about how the Lord Jesus uh, lived his life on earth, he talks about how God um, did signs through him. And then in, in verse 23, uh, when he's talking about the crucifixion, he's explaining that all this took place according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And so, and so this uh, event at Pentecost, this what I've called a flash mob, is not a spontaneous thing that's happened, but, but rather someone wondrously wise has planned this. All the events leading up to Pentecost, including Christ's coming, his perfect life on earth, his, his rejection in Jerusalem, his death and his resurrection, all of this was planned from eternity by God the Father. God the Father planned all this and, and think about the wisdom involved. He so planned it out that it was through the very rejection of the Lord Jesus. It was through their very sin against the Lord Jesus that a death took place in Jerusalem by which they could receive forgiveness for their rejection of Christ. It is, it is astonishingly wise. So the Father, he has planned all this out from all eternity and the Father is also the one who uh, it says he, he gave to the Lord Jesus the Holy Spirit. So verse 33, Peter says that Jesus has been exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Um, so yeah, uh, we look at the passage, we see someone wondrously shy, we see someone wondrously kind, and then we, we focus on the Father and we say, wow, uh, isn't he so wondrously wise to have planned all this out, to actually have planned out the cross and the fruits of it for our good, for our well-being? Yeah, I think of the words of Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. He is wise, he is sovereign, and I'm so thankful that his sovereignty is administered in such a wise and gracious way. Mm -hmm. Help us though, Mike, do we, are we just to see God's glory? I don't think so. I, I think you've got something in mind for how we are supposed to be changed as a result of seeing this glory as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says that we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And, uh, and so we're not just meant to behold the glory of God, you know, the glory of God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but, but as we behold His glory, we experience transformation, and, and we begin to reflect this God that we're beholding and, and enjoying in Scripture. And we actually see that in this chapter as we come to the end of Acts chapter 2. There's a new community in the community of Jerusalem. There's this new people group. It's called the church. And as you read Acts 2 verses 42 to 47, you find out that they're actually beginning to reflect the triune God. They too are acting in just spontaneous generosity to each other, just like the Father gives the Spirit, just like the Father gives the Son, just like the Son gives the Spirit. They too are, are generously uh, providing for one another's uh, needs. And, and then they're joyful. They're joyful. They're, their hearts are full and overflowing. And so we begin to see that there's a community of believers who are being transformed by, uh, by beholding God's glory. And that's, that's how it works in our lives too, as we gaze on the Lord Jesus and on the Father by the help, the spotlighting help of the Holy Spirit, we become um, 
uh, remade in, in the image of Christ. Well, that's good, Mike. So I'm guessing this morning your daily reading was in Acts chapter 2, and you just opened it up, and you said, uh, Lord, show me your glory, and you got all these wonderful thoughts in your 20-minute devotion this morning? That's right. Yeah, I just had a 20-minute devotion, and I came out of it with a three-point uh, podcast episode for you and all these thoughts. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And and I'm glad you asked that, because I wouldn't want uh, anyone to come away thinking, you know, when we hear other people teach the Bible, oh, they, they, they just, you know, prayed the prayer, and then they spent 20 minutes in it, and out it came. You know, that's not at all how it works. Rather, uh, this, is, this, is, this is our lifetime, right? We read through the Bible regularly. We're, we're asking day by day, Lord, show us your glory. And we come through Acts 2, one year, and we see a little bit. And then we come through it another year, and we see a bit more. And year by year, we, we add to it. We, we listen to preaching, and we, we learn from others who are wanting to uh, study and, and behold the glory of God. And they give us insights. And so um, these things come together after a lifetime of looking, hunting for the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. Exactly. And thank you for sharing some of the spoils of your hunting adventure in the scriptures recently. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Practicology Podcast. We pray the Lord's blessing upon you. Yeah, next time you open your Bible, pray that prayer and uh, be on the lookout for something glorious, something beautiful about the Father, about the Son, and about the Holy Spirit. Have a great day.